Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about The Sixth Sense, the 1999 film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayotos. Hi. Okay, so this is going to be really fun. There's a lot to talk about with The Sixth Sense. Before we dive in, we have another exciting thing, which is that finally we have merch. So if you are watching on YouTube or on Spotify, this is our Beyond the Screenplay shirt. We also have a Beyond the Screenplay mug that Alex is showing off and a Beyond the Screenplay notebook that Trish is showing off. Uh, we are very excited about these things. So they feature designs from, so our original logo uh, was designed by Simon Buckmaster. And this cool new, show it again, Trisha, this cool new like outline, like silhouette thing of our uh, heads was designed by Ryan Smallman, uh, one of our patrons, uh, one of our listeners. Super awesome. It looks really cool. We have it on shirts and on notebooks and uh, there's tote a tote bags. bag. Yeah, yeah. Tote bags. lots Organic of things. Tote bags. Yes. Also, we haven't made this one official yet, but I made um, it's called Brian's Structure Guide. Um, and yeah, uh, so it's got act one, la la la, act two, what? Act two, B, yo, act three, ah, but then it resolves into like, a, ah, um, wow. and it's signed by me um, and it's going to be $100 plus shipping on our site. So get your copy now they're limited to as many copies as people will buy wow. <laughs> i mean honestly brian just showed off the best piece of merch that we could ever I mean, to offer. Brian, there's now going to be actual demand for this and you have to generate hundreds of those yeah why do we have these nicely designed these beautiful silhouettes and the whole you guys you guys wanted logo, to take the time to do this nice yeah. clean no yeah um Wow. Well, we have more merch than even I knew. Um, what a wonderful <laughs> surprise. Um, but yes, all these things, the link to our store will be in the show notes. It's really cool to have it. And like I put on the Beyond the Screenplay shirt with the, like the logo. And I was just like, oh, wow. Like 
we've made a thing, guys. Like we've been doing this for a while, and like it's cool to have it on objects. I don't know why it makes it more fun and, and more yeah. meaningful. Yeah. So um, check that out. And if you are a patron, there is a discount code where you can get twenty percent off all of the merch. So head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon to grab that special code to get twenty percent off all of those things. Uh, it's a great way to to support us and show emotional support and just i don't know it's good times good times everybody who doesn't want another mug yeah i want another tote bag genuinely means a lot to us that you guys uh were asking for this you know right yeah it was cool to with patrons like revise the different designs and like figure out what people were asking for and excited about and it was just like mind-blowing that people wanted that stuff so yeah very happy that we have it it is there now go forth uh so merch joining patreon gets you 20 percent off and there's another reason to join patreon right now which is that our episode on the village is also available on patreon as a patron exclusive which is kind of a part two in a lot of ways to the conversation that we are about to have uh and it's just i'm so happy to be to, that we're doing this there's just so many things to talk about with these these two movies and i'm very excited about it so to hear our episode on the village head over to the beyond the screen patreon 20 percent off merch lots of cool things that's happening okay now let's talk about the sixth sense so uh if you have never been a 13 year old on summer vacation sitting in a theater watching the sixth sense then i'm sorry but you can never say that your mind has truly been blown because (laughs) that is the only memory I have just sitting in that theater with the twist, with the I see dead people. And then realizing that he's the dead one at the end, spoiler alert, everything like blowing my mind in a way that I didn't know was physically possible at that age. (laughs) And just like, like just a hard reset of my brain. Uh, And so this movie obviously is famous for its twist But there's a lot of really great things in this movie that I think don't get talked about as much that I'm really excited to talk about. It's structurally really interesting in the design of the characters and the humor and the cinematography. Like there's so much craft and um, great filmmaking and great screenwriting that went into crafting the whole experience that is The Sixth Sense uh, and makes the twist so powerful because you are invested in all these things. So... Lots of things to talk about. It's fun to revisit it as an adult and remember what it was like having your mind blown at 13, but also appreciating the more advanced crafts things that were happening. So I really had fun revisiting this. Trisha, what about you? Oh, God, you called on the one of us with the most embarrassing story about it. Um, (laughs) So as as listeners will know, and you guys definitely know, I'm a huge chicken um, and so I did not see this movie when it came out and I, I was far too scared. I will say that if you didn't see this movie when it was in theaters, it became such a cultural phenomenon that it was hard not to know the twist. Like it just kind of, there wasn't such a thing as like a spoiler ban. And even if there had been, I, there, I, I just didn't see it anywhere close to in time <laughs> to beat a spoiler. Ban. Like I just, I knew the thing. But the other thing is I was super scared. And so I waited until my sister saw it. And then I asked my sister to tell me the entire plot of the whole movie uh, to make sure (laughs) and like tell me all the jump scares and just 
just break it down for me to make sure that I would not be uh, terrified when I was watching it. If you're wondering, I am also today, even now, one of those people that reads the plot summaries on Wikipedia of horror movies, um, whether I'm planning to watch them or not, because I just need them demystified. I need to know what happens in the scary movie that I saw a trailer for, because I just, <laughs> I, I can't deal with it. So like basically any, any horror movie in the last like 20 years, uh, almost a guarantee I have not seen it, but almost a guarantee I have read the plot summary on Wikipedia. Um, but before that, there was my sister and she, <laughs> she told me everything about the sixth sense. But when I saw it, um, I was really, really impressed by the filmmaking. The performances are incredible. The writing is so strong. I read the screenplay in college. Uh, it was one of the first screenplays that I went out. I got it out of the library um, and read the book form of the screenplay from the library. And I really recommend doing that. And I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that because the writing itself is really fascinating. Uh, but yeah. And then I just have only like my appreciation of it has only grown. And this time around, it just rocked me all the way to my core. Um, I might have to move this like into my top of the 99s list. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Um, yeah. And I want to say, speaking of what you were saying about like being a teenager and having your mind legitimately blown. I showed this movie to a group of teens a couple of years ago who didn't know anything about it. Wow. And the yells, the, they were bowled they were <laughs> over. It was one of the most gratifying experiences I've ever had of showing a movie to young people. They were just like, they couldn't believe what had happened to them. It was wonderful. And then the next time I actually convened that same group of students, I showed them <laughs> the prestige and they screamed and yelled during that movie too. So anyway, uh, I just want to say Gen Z, there's hope for them. They are, <laughs> they, they can appreciate a good twist just like anybody else. Their minds can still be blown. That's oh yes. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Trisha, I consulted my, I consulted the minutes and this was your number five of 1999. So oh, thank it, it God. Okay, good. Uh, yes, it might have to move it up even because yeah, I just have no words for how well made I think it is. Yeah. I also love that I can count on Brian to know the things that I'm supposed to know, but don't. I really appreciate that about you, Brian. I make, I make spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the sixth sense, Brian. Uh, yeah, it was, um, I, I, I definitely saw it when I, when it came out and, um, liked it at the time i feel like if i didn't know the twists plural i had like just heard so much stuff right like oh the thing and there's a thing and there's a mm, mm. so i don't remember having i don't remember being like my having my mind blown or whatever but i remember liking it and continuing to like it um and have not seen it in quite a while um i've, I've definitely it's definitely a movie i revisited every few years but i don't know when the last time i watched it was um and there's what I'm starting to call the Tim Burton effect that happens sometimes where when you are less excited of a, by a filmmaker or, you know, an artist, whatever their, their oeuvre over time, their older things can start to feel a little less impressive. And I'm happy to report that I do not feel that way about the sixth sense at all. I just think it's like perfect. Like I, I just, every, pretty much everything about it, I just think is like as well done as it could be. Um, and it's really, really nice to, to feel that way and to be able to revisit it so many years later and just be like, yep, <laughs> good job. You made a really excellent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Cool. And Alex, what about you? Yeah. I, 
this movie had a huge impact on me, but I can't pinpoint like the first time I saw it. I can't I can't pinpoint the experience you described, Michael, of like Mm. the theater where your mind was blown. But I watched it so many times, you know, after it came out and studied it and made my own little horror movies. And was I think the soundtrack was like the main soundtrack to all those little horror movies they had. They all had the like woman in a nightgown walking by in the foreground at some points, you know, like like the, the jump scares were all replicated in my little horror movies. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, huge impact on me as a young aspiring filmmaker. And I, I think, yeah, as you've all been saying, watching it as an adult, it blew me away in a whole new respect where it's just like, wow, this is just a great like psychological movie about a family and about like trying to help a child who is going through something. And it, it feels like the exorcist or these other horror movies that are really using the horror as almost either analogy or an in to explore these very adult, very rich, uh, sometimes like devastating kind of family dramas and the movie just hits so hard because it's so real. It's not there's there's nothing really fantastical about it. it. It's very steeped in like kind of trauma and psychology and trying to help each other through what like, uh, you know, some kind of internal torment that like a little boy can't talk about. I mean, it's, it's very like intense, deep stuff. And this movie handles it so beautifully and has so much humanity in it. And just every character is so empathetic, even if they're flawed. Um, So, yeah, I just what a beautiful movie on top of being also great suspense. Also, yeah, the most crazy, well-constructed twist ever. All those things that I liked as a young person are still there. But on top of that, it's just like, wow, a great adult drama. And we don't have many of these and it's just still so good. Yeah. And I think we can get into this, but what's so unique about this is that the movie is anchored by a Haley Joel Osment's performance. Like mm-hmm. yeah. he was 11 right. years old, you know, and so much of it just rides on his shoulders, his ability to sell the supernatural thing to us, that it's truly happening to him, that it's truly horrifying, that he cannot speak about it. Like all of these things and the directing and the supporting performances all do a lot of work to bolster his his performance here. And of course, the writing for the character is great, but it all hangs on the character of Cole. And because it has to be like what you're talking about, Alex, is the crux of the matter is what is happening to Cole and how can we solve it? And Mm -hmm. that's the central mystery at the heart of this. And I love that Amnett Shyamalan has said multiple times that he doesn't think of himself as making horror movies. He thinks of himself as making mysteries. And the Mm -hmm. mystery at the heart of this is, is Cole's secret. And then what to do about Cole's secret once we learn it at the midpoint. And if you don't have the performance from this very young actor really working on every level, you just don't have this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's astounding. I think it's such a rare example for that reason too. And of course, a child in danger is always going to be compelling, but 
in film, because of the constrictions of having to work with actors that are really young, there's so it's often so difficult to capture that experience on film in a way that, yeah, then doesn't reveal the artifice of, well, we're pointing a camera at this child and therefore we know there's no real danger. Yeah. Yeah. It, it cannot be overstated how impressive his performance is. And like you're saying, how much of this movie rides on his shoulders and how effortless it feels. Right. And that's, I think, what's so like striking about it. It's like, it's almost like the movie, all everyone just knew it was going to be great and perfect and that this child could like carry this entire thing. Um, but it's, it's super impressive. And, it, and I think it adds so much of that humanity that you were talking about, Alex, and, and the way these performances, just how great they are, the relationships between all of them. Like, I think the dynamics between even the dynamics between Bruce Willis and Tony Collette, even though they never say right. anything, they just sit in the chair. For some reason, I'm like, God, they're so good together. Like, there's just something about all of these actors. Uh, it's just a very well cast, well executed movie. And yeah, I, I think the the mystery aspect really makes sense to me because watching it again, it, it was less horror than I remembered it being where it is, you know, it's not, it's about trying to figure out what's happening to him. And the movie doles out all of that. Um, what's happening to Cole pretty slowly. And it isn't until we're getting toward the midpoint and that horrific birthday party scene that is so oh traumatizing. Parents no. worst nightmare times a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> like just, so I remember I always, yeah, that scene has always been awful, but I feel like that's when you start to really understand like, no, there's something like really weird happening. Like that's the first time the movie tips its hat of like something supernatural is happening here. And it's so disturbing. Well, because we also hear the voice of the ghost. That's right, the first right. time that we experience something of what Cole is like actually experiencing. We don't see the ghost, but we hear the voice in the sound mix. And then again, going back to uh, Haley Joel Osment's performance, the vocal performance that we get from him while mm -hmm. he's locked in that closet is just unreal and hellish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the movie does a really interesting uh, reveal of, of what he is experiencing, right? Like the movie never, I don't think I'd have to watch it again thinking about it this way, but I don't think the movie is ever really making you think maybe it's just all in his head because I feel like the movie is just sort of the way the movie is presented is like, no, you're watching a kind of supernaturally movie, but we don't really know what's going on until the, the movie continues and continues. So like you said, we hear the voice, we see some scars and then eventually we see a ghost and then eventually, you know, like those things start to reveal themselves, but it's even earlier on where we hear, Cole knows things he shouldn't be able to know, right? Mm -hmm. Before we've actually gotten anything supernatural, we're like, no, he clearly, like, there's clearly something going on here. So it's just, but it, that just makes that first half of the movie. You're not just sitting around waiting for like the twists. You're going like, oh no, this is cool. How I'm like being, things are being revealed slowly to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate. Like so many movies like this where the marketing gives away at least the first part of the twist. You right. Know, the, I knew you know, I see dead people before I saw this movie. I'd seen the trailers and mm -hmm. the TV spots. Like, you know that he's a kid who can see ghosts. And there's like no question about that going in if you've been exposed to the marketing. But thinking about watching this movie cold is so interesting because, yeah, it does feel for a good chunk of it like it could be a just a psychological thriller about this child with kind of strange 
abilities and who's a little bit off and knows things he shouldn't know that does not necessarily imply a ghost story that could be a different kind of just psychological thriller and i think what's great about Haley joe osmond's performance is that for the first half of the movie he does ride that line of there's a trope in the horror movies of like creepy child who knows too much who knows Mm. the things about the adults and like is maybe kind of scary and you know has the violent writing in the in the notebook there's like the omen kind of vibe and the movie almost plays in that territory for a while but at the same time Haley Joel Osment's performance is so like there's so much humanity coming through he's not the kid from the ring or like the like a kid from another horror movie where it is like I am creepy kid I am here to be like generally creepy he's a he's a kid who's like suffering who's like real pain is in his eyes so you never he never gets put into that box of just like creepy generic horror movie kid he's always way more interesting than that and then once we're really with his perspective we're just all the way with him yeah and it sounded like originally m night might have been leaning more toward the moodier scarier not scarier but you know a bit more of that the the kind of cliche scary movie child that you would think of mm. that that I think could make sense of like Cole has this tortured awful existence like maybe he would be wearing all black and be very like serious and downer and emo all the time and I think it's a really interesting example of kind of casting against type in a way to have right. Haley be as I think M. Night said you know it's, he's like this cute beautiful blonde boy who just seems like such a wonderful like warm presence like that's the perfect person to have this be happening to. And I think it maybe robs the film of, you know, kind of like you're saying, Alex moments where it's like, Oh, maybe the kid is creepy, but we don't want that. We want to be completely uh, emotionally involved with this kid's life and with his relationship with his mother and to have hope that they can be this family that they're trying to be, despite these factors that are completely out of their control um, affecting things. And I'd say, like, I, I don't think it's hard to create a creepy scene, you know, like like you can create a creepy scene with the cutest kid. And he does in this movie with the, stu- the stuttering Stanley scene gets a little creepy. Mm-hmm. The scene where he, you know, he's in the kitchen with all the, with all the drawers yeah. open and his hands are pressed against the table. You know, there's, there's, there's an unnerving quality. But the more difficult thing is to have a child in a performance that we like really, really care about and really feel for and really identify with and. Like, that's more important than casting the creepiest looking kid. So right. I, I think he made the right choice. Or, or like the young kid from Home Improvement when they made him like a goth for a season or something where you're like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think it's also like just the range of, of the character brings that humanity to him, right? Where it's like you see him just smiling when he's going in the golf uh, the, the golf cart yeah um the shopping <laughs> cart or um yeah or you know what did you do today you know that scene or whatever but then how terrified he can be as you pointed out trisha or how serious he can be and then even just whether this is direction or the script or the actor or a combination of everything like him being able to play multiple things at once so the way he delivers i didn't know you were funny I think about that. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways you could deliver that line that, that don't have the sort of the range to them, right. Where it's like what the words he's saying and the way, you know, just so, so beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point about his humanity, Alex, and just sort of reinforcing everything we're talking about in the writing of the character, there's so much in it 
um, especially in the scenes with his mother, where you can feel the tension of, I, I do desperately want to make my mom happy or comfort her or connect with her. Like we can feel those longings where he is in touch with what she's feeling. And at the same time, he can't tell her what's going on. Um, and he does little things to try to make it better, or he tries to diffuse the situation, or he tries to offer some explanation. Um, the scene, which is different from how it is in the script, and it's so much better in the movie because it's so chilling. But the scene you talked about earlier, Alex, where it's actually the first scene where we meet Lynn, um, Tony Collette's character, Cole's mom. It's she goes into the laundry room, right? And it's all one take, it's all mm. one shot. And she like comes back out, he's sitting at the table. And then she goes back into the laundry room with his tie to get a fresh tie from the thing. And she comes back out and all the cupboards are open. He hasn't moved. Um, it's so haunting and weird. But she goes, is there something you were looking for? And there's a long pause. And he's like, Pop-Tarts? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, she gives them to him. And it's, first of all, I, I would just reread that scene in the script. And it isn't, like I said, it isn't written that way at all. This dramatic situation mm. is different. But that little line where Cole is clearly trying to lie to diffuse the tension and then it's right after that he says you know what are you thinking mom are you thinking something Mm. bad about me um again these moments of humanity where he is showing empathy for his mother in the situation knowing how confused she is knowing that he can't explain to her what's going on it it's like so mature for a young child but not in like the I'm going to use a four-syllable word, like cliche way that Mm -hmm. we see mature, quote-unquote, children sometimes portrayed. It's just empathy of, like, I can see that my parent is dealing with something. I'm going to try to help them out while at the same time having to essentially lie. Yeah. But then also this lovely kid thing of being like, what are you thinking? Are you thinking something bad about me? You know, which I feel like adults were like too proud to ask that question or, we're too, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like we don't talk unless it's in subtext or something, you know, and it's just like it's like that kid ability to just be like, I'm going to say what's on my mind because I'm because I'm worried. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the like you were saying, Brian, the the range and just the ability for Haley Jawsman to convey this kind of double life that he is living yeah. is pretty incredible to like have that much understanding of in reality, I'm seeing terrifying monsters running around this kitchen, opening up these things. And, but like in this other reality, I have to be good and like make my mom happy. And so many of the scenes have the subtext that we're talking about. And yeah, Lynn, Tony Collette's character kind of is doing a similar thing where you see how freaked out she is. But again, as you're saying, Trisha, in that scene, she just says, were you looking for something? Like, she's not like, what are you doing? I'm super upset. It's like, we see that she is off put by what has happened, but we see her putting in this effort to make it okay. And like throughout the movie, there are these moments where that happens and she falters at times. She's human and three dimensional, but you're seeing everyone do the best they can with the situation in a way that is very believable and very endearing and and gets us invested in what they're fighting for by behaving this way. So let's just talk about Tony Collette and this performance Mm. as well. And, and this character, because I think, I think when I saw this movie when I was 12 or whatever, I hadn't seen 
a mom character like this, like a working, like in a, in like a Hollywood movie, like a working class single parent who like desperately loves her child is flawed, is struggling, is trying and sometimes failing. Uh, like it's such a beautifully real person you know it's not a movie mom that's just kind of like a one-dimensional idea of motherhood or like they're the perfect mom or like a bad mom or like she's all of the things and i i think the movie is so much stronger for that because it makes the scenes yeah with her and cole so interesting you know there's that scene where they're sitting across the table from each other eating roast beef and the the bumblebee pendant comes up of being and that's that's one of those great long take scenes where the camera just goes back and forth between them and you see so much is going on with Tony Collette and her character like she she both is trying to connect with her son in a way like like uh, telling the truth or like having an honest conversation about stealing would be a moment of connection and an opportunity to kind of like let's be real with each other he can't give that to her. It has to do with her mother. And there's something going with like, sensitive with her mother. And, like there's so many layers to those scenes. And then like the kind of makeup scene later where he goes, you know, can I sleep in your bed tonight if you're not very angry at me? And it just, it you just see this full range of like a parent child relationship. And it's just so real. And it, you know, both of them make that possible because she's, she's allowing her character to be flawed and, stressed and exhausted and at her wits end as far as what is going on with my child um she should there's there's no super mom here she's just a person who cannot handle it yes and this time around you know what you guys were kind of talking about earlier with um the humanity or just like the 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 psychological drama that this movie really is mostly Right. Like most scenes are just a psychological drama with like sort of this mystery at the heart. And if it turned out the mystery was revealed to be some kind of horrific abuse that was happening to Cole, um, it would this would be like an Oscar winning drama movie. You know what I mean? Like um, but as it turns out that it's ghosts, which is it, you know, brings this movie to a whole other level. But the scenes themselves carry the weight of just like the dramatic tension of someone is harming my child and I don't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what stuck with me this time is that the writing itself is as nuanced and loaded with subtext and drama as any other like Oscar winning movie. We don't get this from ordinary people. Like right. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything like that, where it's just like a marital uh, problem, which this movie has. And those scenes are also written with a lot of subtext and, you know, tension and all that stuff. And that's the fact that this turns into like a supernatural ghost story is gives it like all of this more dimensionality to it. But you don't need that for these scenes to still be incredibly well-written, well-acted, dramatic scenes. And I think that's the thing. Like, there's there's a sharpness to the observation. And we sometimes talk about that when it comes to dramas or other, other genre films that stand out, where it feels like mm -hmm. someone in this situation or with intimate knowledge of how this conversation might go in real life must surely have written this. Um, like, a, surely this is, like, pulled from a child psychologist's notes or... Mm. 
from a parent. M. Night Shyamalan was 29 years old uh, when he made this movie. He was 25 when he wrote it, but he was a parent. Um, and like you can kind of see the truth pouring through of just the parent-child relationships and and just all the familial like relationships here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's something I say any movie with a, with a twist, which, you know, the 90s especially was the like every movie had to have a twist like decade. Right. Um, and uh, but it's my, my question is always, does the movie work without it? You know, and, mm-hmm. and as, as you're pointing out, like the sixth sense is a really good um, psychological drama, basically. And then it's a really good supernatural mystery. And then it has this little icing twist at the very end, which is like, oh, man, like, OK, <laughs> you know, we didn't even need that. But like yeah. that also, that's what that's what takes it to, to the next next level where it's like this is now one of the most iconic movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I often say on the podcast, like my favorite movies are the movies that satisfied me completely and then gave me more. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I mean, this movie could end with the Tony Collette. Hillary Osment car scene, you know, where they finally connect. Like that is such a deeply satisfying conclusion to this movie. And then you get yeah. the twist and the and another emotional catharsis with Bruce Willis and his wife. Like it's just it's like you get double double the catharsis and and but it but it doesn't feel tacked on. It's all of a piece. It was all set up. It was always there. It was all earned. It's not right. just like more at the end for fun and the fact that that both of those scenes are character as you just said like Mm -hmm. character conclusions of an arc it's not ooh, look at this crazy thing that happened over here it's no like like yeah bruce willis is malcolm is finding out he's dead he is also communicating to his wife he is also letting go and hopefully giving her what she needs to let go so it's like that's why we actually care about that scene it's not just like oh snap is dead yeah. right like there's that <laughs> but you do the character thing you do the movie thing you do the stuff we care about i feel yeah. like the, yeah. the the bad horror movie thing would be like it turns out that Haley joe osmond just like cursed bruce wells and now at the end he sees ghosts <laughs> or whatever like <laughs> right, the, right that, yeah, that yeah. would be like the generic horror movie like and he turns scene. and looks at the camera and his eyes yeah. are red or something like. <laughs> <laughs> We got to talk about twists and the twist conversation is continued in the village because yes, because yes, um, because (laughs) because but twists. So it's it's also interesting. I was really paying attention to this time, the rules of the dead people seeing and how it all works. And I. I remember uh, after I saw it in theaters, when it came out on DVD or whatever, me showing it to my parents and my dad, who hates like hated movies that lied to him in any way, was like fervently angry at this movie and felt that it was a complete betrayal of uh, the audience because you cannot lie to your audience. And so and I, you know, devil's advocate pushed back. and was like, whatever, moderate cinema, we can do whatever you want. You're old. Uh <laughs> Like teenage, teenage, like yeah. film critic yeah. arguments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it is interesting. You know, the there's a quote by Alfred Hitchcock that I probably made up um, based on our conversation that happened in the discord. But basically the made up quote that I swear I heard somewhere is like, or never trick your audience, let the audience trick themselves. 
And I feel like this movie doesn't pass that test because I feel like there are moments where it definitely is the amount that it is letting you trick yourself is pretty strong. And the rules that apparently exist don't necessarily make sense. So, you know, we see Bruce Willis get shot, fade to black. The next fall, we fade up and that's that's all we see. He is able to like physically affect the world. Like there, there are all these things that you might not associate with the kind of general cultural idea of what a ghost is. Like if your starting point is I don't know Casper or something, or but ghost, like, or, or ghost. Kind of- sure. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but oh, yeah. Michael. <laughs> All right. Coming up next week, Ghost. Your Greeting. point is totally valid, though, Brian, because the rules of that movie is like you can affect the world if you're like emotional enough and you try hard enough. It's just really difficult. It's yeah. just really uh, difficult. But like you could open all the cupboards and drawers potentially if you really tried hard. Or you could yeah. type Sam, 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 Sam. See the movie, Michael. Cool. Maybe I will. <laughs> but basically, it, it is just interesting that I, I feel like this movie does trick you. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's tricking you. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we've just been saying about how this, the twist isn't load bearing, like Bruce Willis being revealed to be dead is an extra thing on top, but doesn't affect the character arcs, doesn't affect the emotional journey that you've gone through and is executed such that it does, uh, just like plus all of that up. But it is interesting to, to watch it again and just be like, wait, so what are the rules of this? Like you can, like if you turn your video or your audio cassette player up really loud, you can hear mm. ghosts whispering like that's so just the, the the rules of the world, I think, are interesting um, and maybe not as solid and bulletproof as I might like in a perfect world. Agree, although I was reading the screenplay again today and the screenplay is trickier than the movie actually is. There's a lot of clever editing and clever filmmaking that helps us trick ourselves that you kind of can't convey on the page. Like we talked about the scene where, you know, Cole comes in, his, his mom and Bruce Willis are sitting there in the living room. They're not talking to each other, but the editing tells us, well, we assume, right. They're just sitting and waiting for Cole Um, And even in that scene, right, she goes over, she has a whole conversation with him. And then about what did you do today? Well, I won the lottery. What did you do? Well, I was picked first at kickball. Then she's like, okay, I'm going to make you triangle pancakes. She leaves the room and she says, you have one hour. Mm-hmm. Like, You're right. <laughs> like uh, that's a very specific amount of time it takes to make triangle pancakes. Also, yeah. the length of a typical therapy session. But sure, those are really like difficult pancakes to make. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, triangles, but, Alex. So, <laughs> <laughs> however, those things don't stand out to us as being tricks necessarily because of the way that the the scene is edited. And a lot of these oneers that we've talked about do a lot to hide what otherwise would stand out as being unusual edits. So the scene where he comes in to the restaurant, which is kind of the most famous scene, right? She's sitting there for mm-hmm. their anniversary dinner. We don't see him come in the door. He's just standing there. In the script, it says he walks in the door. In the script, it says he walks through a lot of doors. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty 
Guys, this is a better movie than it is a script. I want to say that it's a really, really, really good script, but it's a better movie than it is a script. They clearly found a lot of stuff as they were going mm. along. Um, all the Red, for example, not in the script. He comes in, or we see him enter the frame, not see him enter the room, um, make his way to the table. The chair's already pulled out. He sits in it very carefully, not moving it mm-hmm. even a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. That, that is Bruce Willis, the actor, going... Eh. Let me. All right. (laughs) I was watching that scene carefully and I was impressed that he did not move the chair at all. I've never consciously picked that up. But now that you guys say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a weird sitting. The chair is already like out a little bit. All the chairs that he sits in are already pulled out. The one Hmm. in the like library where he's visiting Cole and whatever. He actually touches the back of that chair and then sits in it, but doesn't move it in any way. Hmm. Um, anyway, but there's a oneer. It's a long oneer where the cameras, you know, he sits in the chair at the table at the restaurant. The camera pushes in slowly, slowly as he's explaining why he's late. Um, and because we don't cut to Anna's face for a while, it would stand out to us if she like didn't look at him, didn't look at him, didn't look at him. But the camera move being focused, the camera being over her shoulder and just staying on him as he's explaining what's going on, it does the work of, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what her reaction is. We're reading his reaction to figure out what's going on with her. And so the fact that he continues to be like disappointed that she's not talking to him, we assume that she does glance at him, but refuses to say something. We assume Mm -hmm. that like she in some way has acknowledged that he has sat down. We don't see that for ourselves, but his performance is kind of, enabling us to trick ourselves. So there's filmmaking going on and and there's there are countless examples of this kind of editing um, that and editing and, and direction that does this work for us that I think is I think is like legit. Like I don't think it's a trick. I think it's it's very wisely done, but when but it holds up on rewatch. Yeah, I think it's a mix of being really impressive and not holding up to you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of scrutiny, but there's sure. still like a lot of little things like on one hand, a really good example. Um, one thing I was just thinking was the first time, or maybe every time you see um, Malcolm go to the basement, you see him put his hand on the knob and then yep. we cut to him in the basement. Right. Um, but the one example is when um, uh, Anna and her, I guess, employee are about to have their first little kiss during that scene, you actually hear the bell of the the shop open up uh, like ding basically as in someone Mm -hmm. has come in and then at the end of the scene you hear the 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 smack right like the bell and the and the window is broken everything like that which is like oh that's really clever like they they suggested that like he he did come in the door but at the end of that scene the couple who bought the ring is still in the shop which suggests that they were just in there when like the door opened by itself, you know, <laughs> two minutes. Oh, prior I always read that as someone leaves the shop, but but yeah. to your point, there's a multiple way, multiple ways. To exactly read. right. So I think there are a lot of those things. You know, I mean, even just the idea that, like, as we talked about, like ghosts can affect the world, but there's they're all over the place all the time, and it's not that often that you know things are just like suddenly ajar. So I think it's like a really good combination of like. The, the movie that it that is there is is doing a really good job of of what it's doing. But there are also 
just you know we're gonna be film nerds right we're gonna be like mm, but in, in, in uh, scene three uh and b you said mm, nah, nah. um <laughs> uh, which is how i speak about film um but real quick i want to talk about just like the not the specific twisty things but also just the the trick yourself or just the um the two and two thing where mm-hmm. i think the really the exact thing you're talking about michael is like give me two and two two plus two let me figure out four But while I'm figuring out four, I don't realize you're doing this other thing in the background. Right. So I think that both Malcolm's marriage and Cole's uh, mental situation, for lack of a better word, you know, whatever, whatever that is trying to be sort of um, uh, figured out by Malcolm, they are both they're they're on the nose enough. But there is this this idea of like we are just seeing these little vignettes of Malcolm and Anna and we're putting the rest of it together and had like, Oh, they haven't been speaking for quite a while and they have this thing and they don't die. And he was late and da da da. And then we see Cole's like uh, scars on his arm and, and these kinds of things we're going like, oh, okay. Divorce. Right. Just like Vincent. And we haven't talked about Donnie Wahlberg who's amazing in this movie. Yeah, um, and so it's like, we're doing a little bit of two plus two. So it's kind of like, while well, we are, busy you know kind of looking at the magician's assistant then we're not realizing that there is this other thing because we think we figured out a little bit more than the movie is telling us and so we don't realize that the movie is going oh yeah i want you to be figuring that out over here while i do this other work over here i will say really quickly about just the ghost rules i do appreciate even though because it's about ghosts and ghosts can't really have (laughs) great rules um I appreciate horror movies or genre movies that take our like mythology around something like aliens or ghosts and kind of find explanations for them or kind of or kind of just show like create a rule book that shows how it could be. So, you know, talking about the goosebumps you get or the, the hairs on the back of your neck and the idea of you've got that weird door in your house that rattles for no reason mm-hmm. or you've got that thing that you lost and you're sure you put it down in that drawer. How could it not be in that drawer? I love a movie that if it's playing in the world of the supernatural or, or something that's in our, in our kind of collective mythology, it gives us a reason for all these little mysteries about life and, uh, and finds a place for all of them naturally in the story. So I, I appreciate how, how much it is a ghost movie in that way. Like it, it does all the ghost things even if it's being first and foremost kind of a psychological drama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if you're 13 means that you'd never sleep again because yeah. it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, the, I am cold. Wait a minute. What does that mean? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And and so, and to be clear, I, I think the, this movie has, I think examples that feel like cheating perhaps, but it also has plenty of examples as you guys are pointing out of, really well executed like you're saying Brian the two plus two thing of like there's a cheap way to trick an audience and Mm -hmm. you filmmaker did not do the cheap way you did the hard artistic can be read multiple ways is doing multiple things at once way of doing things and so I think that that also goes a long way obviously of making it not feel cheap where like you can't tell the audience everything but the way you are misdirecting them is with craft and is in service of other story and character things. Uh, you're not just trying to trick us by lying to us overtly or anything like that. And Cole also gives us like a get out of jail free card. And he says, 
they see what they want to see. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, I know. There's yeah. kind of like a, for everything else, this clause covers that uh, issue. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And cause that's, that's the thing is like, like I said, in the script, uh, you know, Malcolm walks through a lot of, like he opens the door to the basement a lot. Like mm-hmm. in the script, the door to the basement sticks, but he's able to open it, but he always tries to open it quietly. So he won't bother his wife kind of a thing. Mm. But they cut around it in the movie, which is smarter. However, knowing that Malcolm's experience isn't that they cut around it, it's like, did you actually open it? What like what was right. your what was your experience of that situation? You haven't eaten anything in two years or what? Like, what is your experience <laughs> right. of this of this life as a ghost? But yeah, they see what they want to see. Kind of just like blanket yeah. covers all of it. Exactly. Yeah. And presumably, if Anna ever went down to the basement, she'd see papers everywhere, like boxes open and like a dictionary of Latin open. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's supposed to be a very specific place because we have that dictionary. And like, why do you have a Latin dictionary? Anyway. Intellectuals. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've talked about performances a lot. There's more to talk about. There's the whole, yeah. Uh, Malcolm character that I feel like we haven't talked about and I do want to get to lessons and I think some of that can go into that but I think going back to the original not the original the first scene the kind of the cold open Mm -hmm. of the movie is uh, really interesting really powerful really disturbing and does a ton of work uh, setting up Malcolm's whole character his yeah his (laughs) Ghost to using the screenwriter term. Slash um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. wow. Uh, but but also like, you know, his superpower where it's like, oh, he's a child psychologist and he's really good. And we see he and his wife and they seem to really love each other. And she's like, no, you need to take this seriously. Like what you do matters. And like she's endowing his uh his pursuits with meaning and purpose and all these things. So you get very invested in them before you then have the scene upstairs and him confronting this patient who we learn later also sees dead people. Um, Cause apparently it's multiple people in the world that this happens to. They're force sensitive. <laughs> it's the high, high metachlorian yeah. count, but yeah. just that scene does so much setting up character backstory, what, what the character cares about the wound, the ghost, the subplot that will play out between them. It hints at the disturbing things to come and like the, the, the tone, right? The tone, yeah. the genre, like all of these things are done kind of on the nose, but not in a bad way. Like it's very clear and efficient and you get all of it within that. And by the end of it, you are like hooked and into this world and, I always kind of forget about that first scene until I go back and watch it. I'm like, oh, right, this scene. I now remember everything because it's so impactful and affecting. The way he says, I do, I do twice. I just like remember that. That's just like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. delivery is like burned into my brain. That performance always stuck with me. Just that that scene. There's something that's so real about it and so chilling and disturbing and painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading an interview uh, today with Emmett Shyamalan, and he was talking about Donnie Wahlberg's performance. And I mean, you know, it's kind of like a legend now among, you know, uh, 
or like sort of attached to this movie if you know anything about the making of this movie. But, you know, Donnie Wahlberg lost like 46 pounds to do this part. Um, And it was really important to him to convey like the trauma and the darkness in the character. Like he took this role as seriously as anybody could possibly take it. I mean, it really comes through, you know, I think he's on screen for like less than four minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it comes through incredibly. And M. Night Shyamalan has said like, you know, we thought we were making like a fun little ghost movie. Like now they did shoot a lot of the scenes chronologically. So, Hmm. and part of that was for um, Haley Joel Osment's benefit where it was like, he would be able to remember what had happened to him in the previous scene and and go on the journey with Cole because that does make it easier for actors, especially young ones. Um, But I, so I don't know when in the shooting process, but I do believe it was pretty early that they shot this scene with the Vincent Gray character. Um, And he said, Emily Shyamalan said it, it changed the tone on set as well. Like Donnie Wahlberg arriving with this level of like trauma and gravitas and like, you know, it was his idea to do the scene like mostly naked um, and so you could see like the scars on his body and you could see the, the, um, trauma that had, you know, how it had affected him physically. And it really does to your point, Brian tone is huge here. The yeah. fact that this, this it's tone and it's stakes, right? Like this is what can happen to Cole. First of all, if we don't figure it out, um, but also, what is happening to this young person, both to what happened to Vincent Gray and what is happening to Cole, is incredibly traumatic, incredibly serious. It is dark, like dark, dark, dark depths of whatever of whatever it is that you could imagine. And I think that having this scene where it's like, even the way that the the murder suicide is shot is so like it just burned onto my brain. It's so mm-hmm. awful. Um, but you'll not you don't shake it. It's disturbing and it carries like those things are stamped on you for the rest of the movie as you watch it as an audience member. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, just Donnie Wahlberg, you know, he just really has the right stuff to just no. go step by step through that performance and hang <laughs> no. tough with it. No, no. Stop okay, it. Sorry. Stop right now. I mean, he's, like, he's not an actor. He's kind of a new kid on the block when it comes to acting. You know, it's, I'm just, I'm just saying. Also, Dreamcatcher, terrible movie. Good uh, Donnie Wahlberg performance. Wow. Lessons? Lessons. <laughs> How quickly can we get to Brian no longer speaking? Lessons. Lessons. Uh, Alex, start us off. Sure. We we covered this a bit with the two plus two, but I think that really, the whole idea that the movie presents you with scenes that feel completely natural based on our understanding of film language and our experience watching movies and, and allow us to fill in the blanks ourselves. It's just so brilliantly done over and over again. And it just shows that if you understand your medium well enough, if you've watched as many movies as M. Night Shyamalan obviously has and understand what an audience expects from a scene, then you can craft a scene to both give them exactly what feels natural and normal, uh, but also be hiding all these secrets and twists as you do it. And and I think this movie, it just, it understands scenes in a way that, you know, other kind of maybe early movies of a director don't understand scenes like early, you know, films by myself or things that I've written in the past. 
think scenes begin with like the person walking in the door or like the first line of the conversation or just like the people arriving in the room. And that like never happens in this movie. And that's usually a sign of a good movie because you want to get into a scene late, get out early. You don't need to watch these transition moments or these people are coming and going. And it's just it's just so brilliant. This The way this movie basically is an incredibly good, well-paced movie by never showing entrances and exits and it's in, and its twist is entirely reliant upon never showing right. entrances yep. and exits and it's just it's just so cool that like yeah the twist is enabled by understanding of like what makes a good scene <laughs> and all the scenes are good and that hides the twist also so just you know it can only help to understand film language audience expectations because then when you understand all those things you can kind of use it against the audience trick them hide things and let, let them do the tricking because they are watching this movie as if it's any other movie we're like yeah you obviously just start with bruce willis in the room he's just already there because that's what you do and specifically the scene that michael mentioned where it's bruce willis and tony collette not yes. speaking to each other and then cole comes in right and it feels like we are two plus twoing this sort of tension and this sort of non-communication between them and stuff yes. it's really interesting. like yeah they've obviously just talked about something and now it's kind of an awkward silence. And right. And Cole is coming yeah. home going, my mom is here and a ghost is here. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to the ghost in front of my mom. So I'm going to just talk to my mom. Right. And then when she leaves the room, I guess I'll talk. It's like really interesting to watch this movie in through Cole's eyes or through um, Anna's eyes, you know, where it's like, what are they experiencing this whole time? That's, yeah. that's a really fun part of the re rewatchability is just the perspective taking. You can take in all these scenes once you know the rules and what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, so much going on here. Yeah, well, so jumping off of that, that's kind of exactly was my lesson also. Of like, oh my God, scenes, like this movie and the yeah. scenes. Uh, and some screenwriting book, I don't know if it's McKee or John York, or John Truby, but some, one of those has a really great quote about just like, a, a movie is a bunch of scenes and you need your scenes to be good. And I feel like this movie is the epitome of that. As you were just kind of saying, Alex, of this movie is filled with a bunch of really, really good scenes. And as individual scenes, they are captivating and well executed and have subtext and all these things. And as a whole, it creates this amazing film experience. The scene that I liked and was paying attention to this time. I guess it, it maybe is an, it is that scene where Cole comes home to find Bruce Willis there with his mom. Is that then when Tony Collette goes off to make triangle pancakes for an hour, Cole comes back uh, and Malcolm's like, do you want to play a game? Yeah. And, you know, when, you know, I'll guess a thing. If it's right, you come closer. If it's wrong, you'll get further away. Different than in the script. In the script, they mm, just have a conversation. And oh. this is one of the most brilliant scenes in the movie, in my opinion. Oh, yes. And I'm so glad they changed it. I yeah. can't wait to respond to that during my lesson then, because, uh, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I just, so the scene is great. And it's also doing the helpful work of externalizing and putting into physicality what kind of every scene should do. And the, the dynamics mm. of a scene where it's kind of like the first half Bruce Willis is getting what he wants, getting what he wants. Mm. Midpoint, there's like a turn and something's 
unexpected happens. And so now the character is moving further and further away. Cole's stepping back and stepping back. And now we've been invested in the goal of what Bruce Willis was trying to do. He wants Cole to come and sit in this chair. And there's a whole arc that happens in just these lines. And it's done through physicality. If he almost, Cole almost gets there, but then something changes and Bruce Willis loses it. And he gets further and further away until the end of the scene, one of the characters either gets what they want or doesn't and it's over. And it's just, it's a great scene. And just like every scene in this movie, I think it's a great one to study of what a scene should be. And that one happens to add physicality to the emotional dynamics that should be in basically every scene. And I love um, how it's shot too, where the camera yeah. takes a step forward and right. moves yeah, back. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It, that is, I, I'm so glad you pointed that out, Michael, because it's so nice to have a scene that, visualizes scene yeah. structure. structure like that's, that's that's what a what a great like thing to have mm. <laughs> right thank you i'm night yeah. i mean it's it's actually the, the um the lessons from the screenplay video on portrait of a lady on fire right yeah. where mm-hmm. where where the camera is who's framed who has the the sort of power in the moment and stuff is it's very similar yeah except without the you know the stuff yeah <laughs> These two movies are exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, Brian, sounds like your lesson. Yeah. So I was um, just absolutely piggybacking off of this. I was thinking about uh, distance, physical distance um, between generally between characters. But obviously that can mean lots of things. Um, and yeah, exactly what you guys were talking about. The question scene where not only the sort of scene structure and the conflict is visible, but the relationship between the characters is is visible the the further apart they are from each other or the closer um and there are uh lots of you know there are lots of like pov moments in this movie where the camera is you know when malcolm first sees cole come out of his door and then he looks away and he looks back and now the camera goes back to the door but then cole has gone so then the camera has to follow him the question game obviously um even when we're on like uh, Lynn doing chores, the camera's handheld, right? So it's like now we're kind of seeing what her life is like. Um, and then when the uh, when the I guess, employee comes over, what's his name? Uh, you know, the the potential love interest for Anna uh, <laughs> comes over. The camera is just on Malcolm the entire time as he is like overhearing the conversation, right? And then um, so it's like there is there are these moments of distance in the movie. And then there are these moments of closeness in the movie. So the I see dead people scene or, you know, um, the, the scene at the end with Cole and his mom in the car, like the characters are right next to each other, right? They're in the most intimate space they can be in, basically. Um, and then you know, the, another one I think of, the, another one that really kind of made me think about this was uh, the second scene in the church where Cole is up on the like second tier mm-hmm. of the church and Malcolm is down below. So just, and it's interesting, Trisha, to hear that things like the question game were like not in the script because I feel like those things feel so like just right from the, right from the, in the core of this movie, like, Oh, the, this character's over here and this character is over here. Um, so, so yeah, I think my lesson is these are things we think about with like cinematography or if you're watching a play, then they spend so much time blocking and stuff. But I think that if you are, um, if you are writing a script, like think about the physical distance between your characters and if they're close, does that create a tension or does that create an intimacy? Like characters can be too close, closer than they want to be. Right. Or they can be uh, close because there's an intimacy there. And if they're apart, 
is it because there is a tension because there's a distance there or do they want to be closer but they can't be closer you know some of this stuff is like super just obvious like blocking 101 thing but i think if you just like think about physical distance between characters when you are writing or directing or blocking or anything like that it, it really will uh communicate kind of this extra layer to what's going on in your scene yeah. yeah. I was noticing it too in the scene that Alex mentioned where Cole and his mom are sitting across from each other at the dinner table and they're having the conversation about the bumblebee pendant and how the the table between them and the camera's a little bit lower down, which mm-hmm. brings the table up in frame and it kind of bisects the frame a little bit. And then, you know, you can the table's kind of just big enough that the camera isn't doing a two shot. It has to kind of pan back and forth. Yeah. yeah they, they, they're Lynn never together Cole. in the frame yeah. for long. They're always yeah. kind of one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Like all these things are simple, but that doesn't mean they're not like masterful. Like knowing how to use your simple tools exactly correctly is right. like half of the game. And I think that's right. like you were just saying, Brian, like you were saying earlier, Alex, there's like a clear uh, like mastery of film language yes. on display in this movie. And it's what elevates it in a way of like an average movie is like an average piece of writing. Anyone can do it. We can all read, we can all write, etc. But like the people that have the mastery of the language can create something that is a step beyond. And that is powerful just in how the language is used. And this movie is really good at that. Half of the village is really good at that. We'll uh, talk about that. Uh, there it is. We'll talk about that in the Patreon exclusive. Here we go. Um, yeah. Trisha, what's your lesson? Yeah, so there's a scene in the script um, that was removed from the movie. Uh, I assume they shot it. There were, I, there were quite a few, but um, there were a few. But there's a scene early on where Malcolm is walking with Cole and Cole sees a neighbor. And the neighbor, you know, is like, oh, my wife is at the, he's an elderly neighbor. And he says like, oh, my wife is at the the store. She'll be back soon. And Cole says, you know, like, oh, can we, can I come in and have something to drink? And the neighbor goes, why, yes, of course, come on in. And then Cole turns to Malcolm and says, his wife died a long time ago. They go into the house and inside the house, the husband, you know, he's, he's clearly elderly and adult and, and hasn't accepted that his wife is gone. And he's like, you know, she'll play the piano for us when she gets back. And Cole kind of just looks around the room and then like moves a potted plant and then opens like a floor grate and pulls out a bunch of journals and gives them to the neighbor. Um, and he's like, oh, she, she has been keeping a journal. I didn't know she has been keeping a journal. And then he like looks at the one on top and he's like, oh, she hasn't written for quite a long time. And then it kind of hits him that his wife has passed away. And he has this really, you know, emotional moment over it. And Malcolm is standing there the whole time and sees this whole thing. This is very early in the screenplay. Imagine Hmm. if they had included that in the movie, what it would then take away from the scene, the long interlude in the second half of the second act, where Cole goes and finds the videotape and then gives it Mm -hmm. to, you know, Kira's father and helps kind of solve the murder, like figure out what happened to Kira. Um, A scene like that is tipping your hand so completely, like, and how would Malcolm not believe him when he says he says, sees dead people right at that point, right? The movie leaves enough room for doubt and plausibility by removing that scene. 
And it creates all of this added tension to that sequence in the second act where why are they on a bus? Where are they going? Who are these strangers? They're at this funeral. What's going on? Um, And then, you know, there's that. It's quite a lengthy sequence where they find the videotape. Uh, Scary as hell. Misha Barton grabs his leg from under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Like some of the some of the jump scares in this are like, you just did a jump scare. Um, Also, yeah. James Newton Howard's like "Ah!" music. (laughs) Come on now. Um, but, but the scene of Cole actually can use his abilities to help people. It's not just doing trauma and harm to him. It actually is kind of in a way, something that makes him special. It's kind of a superpower, right? And this is what comes the twist or the, the solution that they kind of arrive at to help Cole not be afraid anymore. If Cole already knew that his situation had the power to help people and he was already like actively doing it in his life then what is malcolm there for in the second half of the movie so i think that that sequence i'm the the sequence that i'm describing where they go and find the videotape and give it to kira's father and and that whole thing that's in the script but by it's absolutely essential i think that they removed the scene earlier because again it it's what is then then the dramatic question of the second half of the movie mm-hmm. and it's interesting you mentioned that there was another scene of him helping somebody via ghost stuff because I was really struck and gratified when I realized on this rewatch that the movie only does it once. Like we don't have mm-hmm. to have like a montage now of like, like Cole's helping people. I feel, I feel like there, there would be an automatic instinct or like a default mode of, well, now you got to show it like three times. You got to like show this. This is now a new pattern. This is a new thing. And this movie feels like it has so much restraint and like it, it just shows us things once and that's enough. And yeah. and we get it. This is this is a new thing that he can do and he's seeing his plight in a new way. We don't need a montage of helping people via ghosts. <laughs> and it's just it's so nice. Yeah. yeah. And I love that it cuts from that scene where after, you know, he gives a videotape and he gives the doll to the sister. Right. And says, like, she wanted you to have this. Um it cuts from there to the school play, right? Mm-hmm. He's talking to the teacher, presumably who died in the fire in that wing, and he's not afraid. So there's an interaction with a ghost where we see he's no longer afraid of a ghost. And it's just a quick one, but like it's in there. He's not scared. And then the play itself does a lot of character work where Cole is now special and he is happy. He pulls the sword out of the stone The kids lift him up on their shoulders in exactly the same way that he dreamed that they always would when he described that scene of kickball to his mom earlier. And he's accepted by his peers. He kind of has a superpower now, right? The dynamics of seeing Cole not scared of a ghost and essentially happy or feeling confident in himself and in his like kind of new power or on his new path does so much work without having to do the thing you're saying. Also, Tommy Tomasino sucks big time. And it's <laughs> he good did to, suck big time. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to have that kind of closure to his yeah, character. Yeah, totally. Well, then, yeah, I think I think because the movie is so simple and sparse, you don't need those things. And and in some ways, it's kind of crazy that it's like, yeah, extended Misha Barton sequence. And then it's like, well, I guess everything was fine then, like moving right. forward. But it does feel like... Yeah enough like enough 
time is spent on that, that we understand the weight of that one impact. We can extrapolate from that moment that you were talking about, Trisha, where you see him with the teacher. And then it lets him kind of use it like on his mom, right? That's the the climactic mm-hmm. scene of of he's using his power to like help his mom and like get closer to her and bring closure for her. And so it, it does all kind of come back in a way that, yeah, a montage would have watered down. And as you're pointing out, Trisha, putting that at the beginning would have totally right. undercut a lot of it, which yeah. also plugs into like my the kind of ever lesson that I think should be said a lot, which is like, if you're making a movie, just cut out half your scenes and see what happens. Like just do weird stuff just to Mm, see, because like it'll probably make something better or make you realize how to make something better. Um, Yeah. Real quick. It's also a cool thing that like the scene, a lot of the scenes that are the coolest in this movie, I, I forgot for as well as I know this movie, I forgot kind of where the scenes were placed. So I was surprised when there was only 30 minutes left and we hadn't gotten to Kira and we hadn't gotten to the car scene and all this stuff. But then I was like, ooh, that's exciting, right? Like, I'm, I'm glad that I was so invested in just, as we talked about earlier, this kind of character drama and this little bit of a supernatural thing. And then we still have all this cool stuff, like the stuff I think of as like this, the big scenes from The Sixth Sense that haven't even happened yet. So I like I like that that placement of things where there's there's just a lot of a lot of cool things happening in the third act. Yeah. Yeah. It's very but, well paced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is weird though cuz I, I feel like I have that same experience. I I feel like I know all the scenes, but I don't know what order they go in right. when I think about this movie. It's yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. Lots of cool things, lots of lessons to extract from The Sixth Sense. We talked a little bit about twists uh We're going to talk more about them and the village. So head over to the Patreon to listen to our village episode. Uh, Just, yeah, the village. I have so many thoughts. I love the village. I hate the village. We talk about it. (laughs) And uh, before we get into what we're watching, also uh, for our next episode, we're going to be talking about the Royal Tenenbaums. So switching from one famous auteur director to another. equally people have feelings about uh so it'll be fun to revisit another uh early work from one of our uh, tour directors that we have and quick reminder again that we have uh found screenplay merch yay link in the bio brian style guide uh we should we should do like an auction for that and then (laughs) donate the proceeds to charity or something. Um, What else have you guys been watching recently? Trisha, what have you been watching recently? Sure. Um, I caught a new movie that you two can watch on your Amazon prime that just came out. And it's a little movie called Catherine called birdie. Uh, It is adapted from a YA book that I really love, which was written by Karen Cushman. Um, written and directed, in this case, by Lena Dunham. Starring mm. Bella Ramsey, Billy Piper, Andrew Scott, Leslie Sharp, Joe Alwyn. Like, lots of really, really great people. Um, nice. And, yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I want to say up front, if you like Lena Dunham, I think that might enhance your liking of this movie. If you don't like Lena Dunham, it will not matter. You would not ever know that this was directed by her or written by her probably um, just because she's not in it. And it's, you know, it's a fairly like 
family friendly. It's a PG-13 sort of coming of age uh, movie, but it's so funny. So it's about, it's set in medieval times and <laughs> Bella Ramsey plays uh, a woman, a uh, Catherine called Birdie. The character is 14 years old and her father, Andrew Scott, decides that he basically has to like auction her off to a suitor to pay his debts. Uh, but she's 14 and she's very mischievous and she is very difficult. And so it's basically just about her trying to foil all of her father's plans and not marry anybody. Um, but it has surprising depth. Like, it's really funny, but it also is about the difficulty of being a woman and especially being a young woman in that time and how few options they had and, and like, just sort of finding yourself. It's, like I said, a really lovely coming-of-age story that... Um, I don't know. It just, it was delightful. So I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Catherine called Birdie. Nice. I'm looking at the cast and, and every other actor was in Game of Thrones. So it's got that going for it. Typecast. <laughs> yeah. And it, I will say too, it's like, it's one of these modern, like it's set in medieval times, but it's not the last duel. Like it's very, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's very like, it's got a modern soundtrack. Like it's very, um, it. yeah, the I editing think. is very mo like modern and smooth. And the, the jokes are really like quick and funny and by modern standards. And like, it's just, it's great. Nice. All right. Very cool. Brian, what about you? Uh, well, as it is spooky season, I wanted to recommend a documentary that I watched recently, um, which is called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror, which is a history of folk horror. Mm -hmm. um, it's directed by uh, her name is Kirla Janice, I believe. Um, and it gets super deep into the origins of folk horror, mm -hmm. both in it's storytelling origins, like just the origin origins, but also in its history in cinema. There are like 250 movies that there are clips from or they're referenced in this movie. And I had heard of 20 of them or something like there's It's really deep into like this, you know, Poe adaptation or whatever. But then it does go as recent uh, and as sort of blockbustery as The Witch or Midsummer, And because and, it's a very recent documentary. Um, and it is three hours and 14 minutes long, which is surprising, but I personally found it just super watchable and I was just more than happy for it to keep going. I just found every little thing to be, it's like, there's a chronological history, but there's also like, we're going to talk about witches now and like how they are represented and like what they meant at different times in history to the people who are writing about them or reading about them and, and everything. It was really, really fascinating. Um, and I'm going to say the title again, because it's the best title of any documentary, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Sounds very comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is a very cool title. Uh, awesome. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, so I, so while in Norway during the day, there was lots of driving and looking at pretty things, but in the evening, there was a lot of watching, uh, TV shows. And the main one that was being watched was the bear. So the bear is a, it's like a comedy drama on FX. Uh, it's about this chef from the world of fine dining that comes back to his hometown of Chicago to help run his family's uh, like beef sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother. Um, and it's so it's about food and life in the kitchen and 
you guys know that I'm not what one would call a foodie. Uh, <laughs> and the world of making food or spending lots of energy on food uh, is foreign and not intrinsically interesting to me. So there are a lot of barriers up for me uh, in this uh, comedy drama about people making food all day. But the it, it felt like a really great modernization of a classic sitcom formula where it's like it's a workplace drama. There are distinct characters with their personalities, but it has the kind of modern day streamer elevated edgy R rated thing going also. And so it's both a familiar half hour uh, workplace drama comedy and a really well executed, well performed, well shot, well written character drama happening all at the same time in this very high stakes environment of making food. Um, so really entertaining. I, I tried to push back against it just to be stubborn because I'm me, but got sucked in anyway. Uh, and just some really great performances from some up and coming people, some people that have been, have been around, but haven't had like the time to really shine and just everyone gets a chance to really shine in uh, the show. So the bear on Hulu thumbs up. Alex, what have you been watching on our sponsor movie? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was very pleased to see movie is doing kind of a Halloween October special with a lot of uh, fun kind of offbeat thrillers and horror movies and one of my favorites uh is a spanish film called los cronocrimenes or time crimes uh which is a little spanish time travel movie that is one of my favorites of the genre um it came out in 2007 and it's funny because i i definitely seen this movie before michael wrote the short film Stealing Time, which I then directed and Michael helped, you know, shot. We made it together, basically. Um, and then I showed Michael Time Crimes afterwards. And it was like, oh, crap, this is like the same model of time travel. It's <laughs> definitely like our favorite model of time travel where I won't give away anything, but it's a very nice package. It's a very nice 90 minute little mystery box package that feels very satisfying at the end. Um, and I remember this was kind of put up against primer because primer had come out a few years before and that was the Sundance darling model of time travel where it's kind of more like, well, we don't even know what happened because it's so crazy. And I think my puzzle box and Michael's puzzle box brain appreciate that time crimes is like, we're no, we're going to show you the whole thing and it's still going to be really fun. So that is currently on your movie. Nice. Uh, yeah. Okay. So time crimes. I do remember you showing me that after we made the movie. Also, I just checked stealing time on YouTube has 4 million views. When Whoa, did that you happen? Guys. Yeah. It has, it has hey. long been one of our best performing, uh, short films. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Cool. So we'll throw a link to that in the description along with a link to movie where you can get a whole month of great cinema for free at movie.com slash beyond the screenplay. If you don't know it, Movie is a streaming service where every day they premiere a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. They have seasonal events like is going on right now with horror movie things. Uh, and each film that they 
put forth is a hand-selected film. There's no algorithms. It's like a personally curated film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Beyond the Screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Beyond the Screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. Awesome. This has been our conversation about The Sixth Sense. Uh, let's go talk about The Village and continue yeah. our M. Night uh, <laughs> discussion <wait>. over there. <laughs> uh, we want to say thank you to the patrons that make this show possible. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayotos. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi. Grab yourself some Beyond Screenplay merch at the link in the show notes, and we will see you in the next episode for the Royal Tenenbaums. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.